Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co-sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and Lead. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton, and I serve at Luther Seminary. And I'm Louise Johnson, and I serve with Lead. We are excited today to have as our guest, Pastor Aaron Fuller. He is a good friend of mine. I have got the privilege to get to know him while he was at Luther Seminary and been in touch with him for his years in ministry. So welcome, Aaron, to our episode today. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and the context of your ministry. Thanks for having me. Right now, currently, I'm serving as a parish pastor, like many of us, in uh, Rockford, Minnesota, a small little congregation, Our Fathers. I also serve kind of in two other contexts that I would consider ministry, and uh, we, you know, we can talk more about that, but I'm also serving as a, a chaplain in the Navy Reserve. My current assignment is with 4th Marine Division, which is the largest division in, in the Marine Corps, but it's uh, primarily reservists. And then I'm also uh, an assistant wrestling coach at uh, Augsburg uh, University. Aaron, welcome. It's really great to meet you and to have us with you. I've been really interested to talk with you in my work with a lot of pastors in this time. What I know is that so many are just in crisis, right? There's just been months and months and months and months of this pandemic. And then piled on top of that, of course, just terrible political divides. And then of course, all of the rising struggles around race. And so it's just been a really tense and intense time, I think, to serve in ministry. And what I'm watching is I'm watching people just get so weary and so tired. And so it's raised for me some really important questions about as we're forming pastors and walking with them in these times, what are the kind of discipleship practices that need to be so ingrained that their unconscious competence, right? They just are there and sustaining us. We've built them in as habits. And what it occurs to me that maybe out of your military background, you might have some wisdom for us being both trained in the military and in ministry, you might have some wisdom for us about what you think some of those practices are that would help us just kind of be really well prepared to endure these really challenging seasons. Yeah. I guess before I start any comments, I have to give uh, this disclaimer because the military lawyers had told me I had to. So my comments today are are my own, my own thoughts, and they don't necessarily represent the Department of the Defense or the Department of the Navy or the Marine Corps or uh, the Navy Chaplain Corps. So yeah, I think, you know, you raise a really interesting question about practices. And, you know, in the military context, we invest a ton of money in just training people and educating people to that end, right? And we talk a lot about this. So I had a good exo tell me one time, he had a phrase, knowledge decreases apprehension. And, you know, the other side of that I've heard too, is that training increases competence. So it's kind of this idea of kind of reps and sets. You just do the same things over and over and over, whether it's physical training, which we kind of know about the military. There's some really interesting things happening in uh, kind of the mental side of things, looking at mindset training and how we help people make faster and accurate decisions, uh, emotional regulation. There's some things looking at kind of like social dimensions and how do we like make people function better as teams. You raise an interesting question because the spiritual faith piece is a little more, I would say it's fuzzier. And so one thing about the military context is that it doesn't have a specific theology 
or faith tradition that it follows. We're here as chaplains just to provide religious ministry and care to people of our own faith groups. But that means I get used in all kinds of different ways. When you talk about those practices in spirituality, it's kind of a both and. One lane is just kind of the traditional faith practices that we're used to, like prayer and you know worship. We provide those things for people and try to connect them to that and accommodate the, their requests for that. But, and as we all know, kind of with the world being what it is, that's kind of becoming lesser in the mission of the chaplain corps, believe it or not. In fact, and this kind of leads into my other piece of this, last week I was doing training uh, at uh, division headquarters and a supervisor came up and he said, hey, I have this young Marine who his sister passed away and um, he's having a tough time with it, but he doesn't want to talk to a chaplain. And I said, well, just tell him as someone who's lost both of his parents, some um, if he just wants to talk to somebody who's had family members die, I'm willing to do that. And about an hour and a half later, the Marine comes popping up to my office. So we sit down and he kind of said up front, he goes, you know, I, I, I didn't want to talk to a chaplain because you guys do this whole religion thing. And I'm, I'm just not into that. I, I don't want that. And I'm like, this is about you and what you need right now. And that kind of leads to my second piece is that chaplains in the military context are trained to interact and intersect with mental health. So we're not mental health caregivers or providers, but it's understood that chaplains provide some sense of emotional, psychological support, kind of addressing whatever the source of that distress or stress is. As a military chaplain and a Navy, you know, for me as a Navy chaplain, you have to do that. And for me, I receive a ton of training to be able to do that. In fact, I'm taking an advanced uh, demon course right now with Vanderbilt that's specifically teaching me mental health CBT-based modalities that I can use in my chaplaincy and then also kind of work and have a language so I can work with our mental health providers to decide when I work with someone, how do I encourage a referral or how do I assess what is a spiritual issue or what might actually be a psychiatric or psychological like issue. And so I can refer that out. So that's kind of the other piece of, that I provide too in practices. So I actually engage and use techniques like acceptance commitment therapy, motivational interviewing, problem solving therapy, and other CBT type things to actually give care and then also help instill practices in, in the person to help them deal with whatever they're dealing with. So mindfulness meditation is kind of one of the, you know, that's a big thing right now is a chaplain. I'm trained to do that. And uh, that's something I use, but again, that's not necessarily in a religious sense, but it's kind of helping people coach. I do coaching around, you know, kind of using acceptance commitment. It's about values. So I spend a lot of time working with people to identify their values and to clarify those values so that their actions or their commitments they make in life more represent and reflect those values. Because what we're finding is that people who really struggle with things that are going on, and that's what I did with this young Marine, is trying to figure out what he really valued about his sister so that he could grieve well. I was able to kind of use mental health techniques to instill kind of practices of like, hey, when you are feeling this way, go back to your values. And then make a different choice. So it's kind of, there's, some, you know, we're taught to do that as well, too. So from a practice standpoint, it's much more expansive, but it's really focused on the person. So what does the person need? So I just have this really wide toolbox to draw from to figure out how do I help equip the person with what they need so that they can tap into their own sources of internal strength. 
I have a one clarifying question for you before we go. What's CBT? Oh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Sorry about that. That's okay. Thank you. So I'm curious too, just for you personally, right, as you've walked this road of the pandemic, what has helped you personally just maintain or grow in this time, right? What's given you resilience and what is arguably a pretty stressful time to be a pastor and probably a chaplain? You know, I think about it's all stuff that's unique to me. So I think in the midst of the pandemic, you just start going, okay, things got taken away from us. And for me, working out is just one of those things. And so that got taken away. But then I started thinking, okay, but what can I do? My wife would tell you, uh, I, the pandemic was a perfect time for me to uh, spend a lot of money on my nice little home gym. So I've got a rower and some other things. But I mean, it, I think it's things like too, like I don't have to go to a gym to work out. In fact, I can pop a podcast in or pop a audiobook on and I can go for like a three mile walk. That's taking care of my body. I think about kind of like my spiritual well-being and some of those things too. I will admit a lot of the practices we would look at as traditional faith practices are not my spiritual practices. Working out is actually one of my spiritual practices. I become very tuned in with my own self and my own body in my own spirit, kind of operating within that when I'm working out. So that's one of those things. For me, reading is my spiritual discipline. So it's making sure and that's in the land of audiobooks. It makes it much easier to kind of, you don't have to sit down and read. I can be doing that in my car, this or that. So I think for me, those are kind of the two things I can mention right now that are just the best spiritual practices, but they're really grounded in, in just kind of this, I, I'm in the kind of this constant loop of feedback, assessment, try something out, feedback, assess, make an adjustment. That's how I've kind of managed through the pandemic. Thank you for that, Aaron. I really appreciate that. One of the things to me that resonated is with that pivot of this thing was taken away and it was meaningful to me. Why was it meaningful to me? what can I do to fill it in a different way to go after that meaning thing, right? So for you, the workout was an example, right? I can't go to the gym. So there's another way, finding another way. I think in our spiritual lives, one of the big pivots that we had to make is I got to be pretty passive in my other way of being in community and quote, in faith practices. I could just say the Lord's Prayer with everybody else and not really think about it or whatever. And maybe it was meaningful and maybe it wasn't, but it was a habit. It was something that I did. This has disrupted that pattern and it's made us all pause and say, what do we need? And not only for our spiritual health, but for our physical health, our relational health, all of those things. When I think about parishioners and I think about some pastors who are just kind of stuck in this mindset of like, oh my gosh, so much has been taken away. It's hard for me sometimes, and I'll admit it's, you know, to be empathetic and say, well, this is a great opportunity to try other things. And it's really a question. I think this is the one that emerges for me is it's the why question. When the normal things that you say are meaningful are taken away and you have nothing else, I question whether the things you were doing before were actually that meaningful either. Because the why is more important or the intent behind it is more important. And if that intent is kind of shaped as the basis, you can make, as you see, you know, as the podcast name, you can make those pivots when something happens that's taken away. 
if your whole like faith life is fed by in-person right from the ELW worship and that's taken away, I, I think I would probably push back and say, so how meaningful was that worship to you before? Is your vision of worship too narrow? Because you can't do it. So you have two choices. You can completely despair and kind of fall apart, you know, to use a military term, or you can be flexible and adaptable and kind of say, well, worship's important to me because it ties me into an embodied presence of of God. There are other ways that I can tie into that, even though that's not available to me right now. And so how do I do that? Let me take a different direction. One of the things that I know about both your coaching and about your military experience is that both of those in coaching or in in the military, you have to train or prepare or practice for something that there's a lot of uncertainty. There's so many things out of your control about what happens in a war situation, whatever. What are some ideas or some practices, some concepts that from those times have helped you think about leading in ministry in a time when there's so much out of our control and we're being disrupted or we're facing an uncertain future all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think about one of the things with coaching this year is that because of the pandemic and then also being in a parish, I've had to change how I coach. So I'm not in practice every single day. So I do my one-to-one workouts or small group workouts with my kids but I'm finding other ways to help them be successful. And so I'll watch their film, sometimes not with them because, you know, I'm trying to maintain distance and be safe, but then I'll text with them and I'll say, here are the four things. Now watch the video and look for those, but then trust that my athletes will be able to kind of take that information. I provide them watch their wrestling match, their videotape, and then be able to pull out that same learning. And so You know, I use that example to say that my goal and intent is always to get my athletes and then even like in in, in chaplaincy as well, to be able to empower them to do for themselves. So how do I equip them to do for themselves? In other words, they don't really need me there. And so what I'm trying to instill in them is the same kind of like feedback assessment. And I do the same thing in my chaplaincy too. So like a lot of my encounters are, they're never long-term, kind of like you would think in chaplaincy kind of the case management. It's just a one of. And so I have to give them tools and things to equip them so that when they walk out of my office, they're able to do that for themselves. So instead of saying, this is the thing that will fix your thing, or here's, you know, something to do, I try to give them a process and I try to instill some sort of process. Even right now, and you know, kind of leading my congregation, that's what I'm trying to do is instill good processes for how they live their faith. One of the things that stuck out for me when you were saying that, Aaron, was how different that is when you only know you have a short time in chaplaincy, for example, or even in coaching, right? The window is small, and yet you hope to instill within them practices and processes that are life-giving way beyond the wrestling match that they're going to face next, or whatever is the next thing in their military career, but is in their life. It's about a bigger vision and about planting seeds in some ways. Well, I think we can apply processes across context, right? So if we've instilled certain ways of thinking about situations or reflection, 
that's kind of my new buzz thing right now with that my congregation is like, so how are we living a contemplative life? And so I'm kind of drawing from some of those kind of Catholic spiritualities actually to look at at this time, my number one concern is that we continue to deepen our faith in God, but we can't do that through the normal means, but the contemplative life invites us into that. But I think, you know, the thing is the contemplative life can follow them into anything when it comes to making a decision about whether they have to uh, hire someone or fire someone as a supervisor, what they post or don't post on social media, you know, like we are not very contemplative anymore. And I would argue that a lot of that's, that's the number one faith practice right now to call people into is, is a contemplative life. I think that's the thing I ask myself in, in this era like in time, and it's highlighted by the pandemic. And I think, you know, my Navy chaplaincy work plays into it because that's where the military is going is how do you get people to be contemplative about what they're doing? Because once they find themselves in a different situation, they can't apply the knowledge in the same way. They have to have an ability and be able to practice, oh, I can flex it and do it this way. And I'll still kind of get to where I need to be. I've been thinking about a lot about that too, right? What are the sort of ways in which the pandemic has exposed practices that we had that maybe we were clinging to, but weren't so helpful to us. And then how do we begin to reorganize and reframe a lot of that? And and so, of course, early on, a lot of the prompts were to think about, for lots of us, myself included, you know, we grew up going to church, right? And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would say that God only lives at church. There's a way in which we've behaved as if that were true, that the presence of God is, if not confined, at least exemplified by the church building itself. So I've been paying a lot of attention to that as I'm reading scripture and realizing that for most of the history of the Christian people that's recorded in scripture, God was very mobile, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And God, in fact, resists the building of the temple, tells David not to do it, and he kind of reluctantly agrees for Solomon to do it, but the temple doesn't last very long. And in fact, God seems rather content to be mobile, right? What does it mean now? really, in terms of these kinds of contemplative practices, what does it mean to really get a hold of the fact that God is alive and out there and with us in the world and traveling and accompanying us? And of course, you know, the biggest commitment I think God makes to traveling with us is entering into our DNA in Jesus Christ, right? There is a way in which that's the sort of ultimate tabernacling commitment is to be just, you know, really literally in our own flesh and bone. You know, the contemplative practice, which I love that you're digging into that, it means that we pay attention to that in different kinds of ways and wonder how that makes a difference for us as we're walking into difficult things, as you said, right? A tough decision at work or, you know, a diagnosis or something like this, right? How do those practices begin to help us. And I'm wondering, you talked some about your own practices of both exercise and reading, which I, you know, I can identify with both of those in my own way. I'm wondering if there are any particular scripture passages or any of the contemplative work that you've been doing that just have kind of stood out for you in this time. Kind of two things, and it's kind of one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, right? I'm really interested in Acts and really what it is, is I'm trying to understand through Acts and what's helpful is, is trying to understand and clarify as I kind of reintegrate back into parish life, what exactly is my role as the pastor of a congregation? 
and taking my cue from the apostles and acts. And I think one of the interesting things from that is, is one, they're not really overly concerned with community building. They're primarily trying to proclaim the gospel and instill in people a way of being, and then leaving the community building up to the communities. And that's been really life-giving for me because to think about what is the spiritual, emotional well-being of my people and how do I instill in ways for them to take care of each other and take care of themselves and deepen their faith and all these things. But in terms of how they form community, especially in this time when it's like, there's no way to do it because of the pandemic, you know, it's just the, the normal ways. I just go, that's not my primary responsibility. Community will be formed. My goal is to make sure that people are, are called into that life and they understand the gospel in a way that's, I think, ethically responsible when they proclaim things, especially in our polarized times. The other one I think that's been interesting for me too is uh, it was in one of my classes for my demon. One of the professor uh, Seau at uh, Vanderbilt um, teaches, taught one of our classes, and he's using uh, wisdom literature to really get people into this contemplative life to think more kind of morally, ethically about how they live in the world. And so Proverbs, I've been, I've gone back and I'm just reading Proverbs here and there. And it's like, I don't think the last time I read Proverbs, I didn't read it in seminary. <laughs> Maybe I missed that class. I don't know. But I think, you know, I'm learning things. I'm like, not everything has to be theologized into kind of like a missional theology or an incarnational theology. God might just want me to, to live and contemplate what it means to live well. You know, that's what the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, that wisdom literature, it's about. It's asking us, how are we living in the world and how are we postured? And to contemplate on that and meditate on that. So, you know, those two pieces of scripture for me have been super helpful in this time, just to think about those things. And they're, they're just vitally important right now, I think, because those are the questions. When the normal of life is so disruptive, you have to go back to something and then you find out there's no foundation, that's when people get in really difficult situations. And I think that's where churches and pastors struggle. And I think it, this is a really great time to kind of look at the foundations of, of us, not necessarily what we're doing, but like our foundations. And, and I know those two kind of, you know, those, those two uh, books of the Bible have been super helpful as I just kind of read through and, and kind of take care of myself. That's really helpful. Thanks, Aaron. One of the things that I was thinking about when you, as you keep talking about this, both from mindfulness, but also about contemplative life, is I think our individualistic culture can quickly put those to it's all about me. But when I hear you talk, and especially putting it in the midst of scripture, those two things are really about me living in community and me thinking about how I show up in the world. Say something about that, how you put together the sense of who I'm called to be and who I am with God and my own mindfulness in community, in society, with my neighbors who I maybe don't agree with. So our wellness in this time and everything in our world today is commodified into kind of that individual piece. And I don't think we've done a great job as I think Christian leaders to state up front. So if you call yourself Christian and that's the way of life you follow, it is a non-negotiable that all of these things are done for the sake of the other. It's, it's a non-negotiable. Maybe for better or worse, I've told people really close to me. I'm like, you're, you're not Christian if that's how you, if you see things through this kind of like individualistic lens. 
and you're just sort of consuming things for your own benefit and kind of coming up with ways of seeing the world that are purely about your self-preservation and self-interest. And so I think for me that, you know, that is really the big thing for me is like, even when I start to kind of stray that way, I tell myself it's a non-negotiable. And I think, you know, that's why in the gospels following Christ is so hard. It's such a non-negotiable because it might, it results in, in death. And, you know, we talk about it kind of more and more metaphorically, but I wonder in some ways, if we don't have to talk about it from a kind of a physical standpoint, some of that, that death and sacrifice and just be real upfront and bold about it. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Erin. You're out there in ministry in the world, and I think that's just such a gift. And it's just been really interesting to listen to you today. And I think I have about 17 more hours, more questions to ask you, but that's probably enough. For, this is probably enough for one podcast. But just really grateful for you and thankful for your presence and wisdom with us today. I want to echo that. Thank you. And I'm going to give you, Aaron, one more chance to say, is there anything you wanted to say to us as you were thinking about this podcast that you haven't gotten a chance to say as we close our time today? I know, and my wife has told me I'm guilty of this, is that I I tend to kind of push just because I, I like conflict. I think, you know, that's the grace piece. You know, if I were to, if I were to kind of reiterate one piece, I know everyone's trying the best they can. Can we all try to do a little better? And do we want to do that in this time? You know, that maybe that's the theme of this podcast, but at the end of the day, we are all trying the best we can. So at the end of the day, just kind of remember to, to be gracious with each other and be compassionate. And maybe that's the most important thing that we can practice too. Yeah, that's a great ending word for us today. Well, Aaron, as always, it's great to be in conversation with you. You give me different angles of thinking about ministry. And I really appreciate that kind of learning from one arena and bringing it to another and going back and forth. And so to learn today from your varieties of experience has been really helpful. So today, a reminder that we have a learning community, a way that you can be in conversation with Faith Lead Learning Laboratory. So if you want to chime in and say something about today's conversation, please do that there. Or if there's a learning you've had from some other arena that you've brought into ministry that's been really helpful during this time, we invite you to do that in our online community. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org or from Faith Lead, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.